Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Sad. Sad? Yeah. Well, hang on now. First, thanks to Eric for being on the show last week. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun, and uh, and uh, yeah, he's a he's a good guy. But uh, so, but that's not what's my you know thanking previous guests. That doesn't make me sad. What makes you sad, David? Um, the death of the death of Sonny Von Bulow. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> me too. That was a little weird. Um, yeah. Uh, so for those who uh, who don't know, um, and maybe you know, maybe you, j- you just. Maybe you don't care or even know what the situation is, um, because uh, for those who haven't seen the film Reversal of Fortune, um, there was uh, the before O.J. Simpson. There was the the trial of the century was uh, this crazy millionaire who uh, was accused of uh, attempting to murder his wife, uh, and uh, his name was Klaus von Bülow, and her name was Sunny von Bülow, and she was uh, uh, put into a uh, coma. And she remained there for 28 years, and then she recently passed away. And uh, the film itself, I'm a big fan of. I know David hates it, but uh, that's but not I, true. I think it. I think it's true. You say you like it, but I don't. Uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> I love the movie, but uh, I, I think it's a it's a pretty good movie. But that's kind of going against the point I want to make here. Okay, what's the point? Which is that you know I've never met any of the von Bulos, and I right. wasn't around during the original trial right you know uh my own the only reason i really have a connection to that story is because of the film yeah uh and i uh i think that's okay (laughs) uh i there's a lot of things about about history uh and just stuff there's a lot of things that i've learned yeah because they've been you know incidental or integral to the plot of a film that i was watching you know uh and uh, so, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I actually really have, you know, care and feelings for Sonny Von Bülow. I never knew her, but uh, right. I'm able to emotionally tap in to this complete stranger's death because yeah. uh, she was. It's it, honestly, it might be my favorite Glenn, Clo- Glenn Close performance. I'd say so. It's um, really, uh, it's really solid. I mean, it, you know, the better she is in that movie, the more uncomfortable you are watching her. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and I myself, it sounds weird. I was uh, I did you know I mean where I was being kind of facetious earlier, but like I actually was a little saddened by it because it just it made it very real. Like I think of Reversal of Fortune as a very entertaining movie with characters that are really intriguing in a situation that's really uh, kind of exotic mm-hmm. uh, and you know like something out of a you know uh, Agatha Christie novel. Right. Um, <clears throat> but like reading about her death i realized like she was a real person like yeah. and and the events of the film are quite tragic especially you know when it comes to her yeah and and the fact that she died it's like she was in a coma for 28 years of her life and it just and it and you re- like it just it really brought it home to me and you realize like yeah this isn't just a movie this isn't some fictional character that it's like oh this is fun you know this is fun to watch uh, and I think it kind of, I kind of had that weird disconnect that it's like, right, this really happened. Like, much in the same way uh, when I saw Shattered Glass, uh-huh. um, Hank Azaria's in it, and he's great in it. I think he does a really solid job. But then in the end titles, when you read that his character 
you know, years after the events of the film, mm-hmm. and as a function of something that has nothing to do with the film, uh, he was killed uh, reporting uh, in uh, in Iraq. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like, right, this was a real guy. He wasn't, you know, Hank Azaria. Oh, he's doing a dramatic thing now. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Like he was a real guy, and he really died. And and this was a chapter in his life. And it's, I don't know. Was, I, I'm not really sure if there's anything to be learned from it. But it just it it got me. I don't know. Kind of put things in perspective for me that like, especially true stories. Um, you know, you you view it as entertainment, but it, I don't. I remember years ago I wrote a report in one of my classes on the book Tuesdays with Maury. Uh-huh. And I hated it. Still do. Don't get me uh-huh. wrong. Um, but you know, and and I after that by that time for so many years I had gotten used to just writing reports about movies. You know, about fictional characters. That when I wrote a review of how much I hated the book, uh-huh. um, and kind of hated the things that Maury said. Uh-huh. Like it. T- like I wrote it, turned it in, and then like the next week I said, "Can I turn in a different paper?" Like. I realized, like, this is a real guy, you know, like, why, why speak ill of the dead, you know, it's, and so I wound up feeling really bad, like, it just, for some reason, I just kind of have a weird, like, pang of conscience when I stop seeing people as people and start seeing them as characters, um, I don't know, it happens to me, I think, a fair amount, (laughs) so, (laughs) but, anyway. Well, I think, I mean, this is, uh, the, the reaction, and again, like, I've always said, I just, pretty much like reverse of the fortune i don't love it yeah. like you do but uh the reaction that we've had to the death of this person that we never knew yeah um is a function of how well the movie did its job you yes. know and that's yes. why i think movies that are telling true stories have and we've we've been over that we had an episode on it but they have some responsibility to i mean i understand you have to dramatize things and it's okay to change a little bit but like right. the essence of the of the thing yeah should be should be true that there's there's a responsibility when telling a real story to remain true to it yeah uh and uh i think that i'm i'm thinking that that's what reverse of the fortune did obviously i wasn't there for the actual events but uh uh and uh to its credit i mean that's a movie that i i haven't seen in almost 10 years you know and then it was made what year was that 90 that was 1990 you know that it's it has it has reached through you know a decade for me and probably two decades almost yeah. for other people uh to to be able to to still have an impact today right i mean it's yeah i knew nothing about about that until the until the film came out and uh and it is yeah i mean it's a it's a any any movie that is going to do that i think that's what frustrates me about certain movies like you know beautiful mind or or uh you know, like remember the Titans or, or something like that, where it's telling a true story, but in some cases, like it kind of just want to breathe, it kind of wants to breeze over the the easy, p- uh, the 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 hard to watch parts and make them a little easier to digest. Yeah, and uh, and part of me is like, well, you know, as much as I don't like, you know, some of the uh, modern musical biopics, which make it's make all their characters out to be total assholes. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I like going that direction, but like, you know, when a character has been through a lot and some of what they've been through is a phase in their life when they were just jerks and not pleasant to be around. Well, that's part of who they were. And if you really want to honor that person, you should be willing to show that I feel. Um, But, uh, and, and reversal of fortune certainly does that. It does not pull its punches. It makes 
Sonny Von Bulow, tragic though she may be, it makes her out to be a fairly unpleasant, neurotic woman. Um, and Klaus Von Bulow out to be a cold, cold son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, who, it's like, I don't know if he killed her or not, but I kind of, th- I believe he killed somebody. You know, yeah. there's no question. Um, but, uh, <sighs> yeah, he's, uh, Klaus Von Bulow, he's a great character in films. So. Uh, speaking of great characters and uh, unpleasantness, um, <laughs> There is, uh, as I'm sure you all know, as movie fans. Yeah. If, maybe, I don't know if that's well, true. Well, I wrote a blog about it. Oh, so. right. The uh, Empire Magazine. Is that what it's called? Empire yeah. Magazine. Uh, 100 Greatest Characters. And this thing is a travesty. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is unacceptable. Yeah. And, and, and I, here's what I love about the way, like if you go online, uh, what I love about the way they present the characters is you, they don't just show you the list all at once. It's like, here's one, here's why they're included on the list, here's a picture of them, and then you click next, and then you get to the next character. And so, what's fun is, is uh, it's just a, and, and it goes through all 100, the 100 greatest characters, according to them. And, uh, and so you see, you see, it's like, oh, alright, this character's on here, I'm not sure if I'd include him, but uh, that's not bad. Click. Oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> like, you just, like, you're like, oh, the, oh, Good for them. They included, uh, you know, um, Scarlett O'Hara. Good for them. Oh, here's Boba Fett. What? Like, <laughs> like when you see the list, all, if you see the list all at once, you have all those reactions. But, you know, it's a real emotional up and down, mostly down, uh-huh. when you're going the way they present it. Um, but now, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Because almost all the characters are male. Right. Almost all the films are from the past quarter century or so. E- uh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say most of the characters came about in the last 15 to 20 years. Um, but yes, the number of characters who showed up before 1970, I think maybe go up to, f- there might be 15 to 20 of them. Yeah. And uh, that's ridiculous. Okay. So how did the, how was this list made? Well, I'll tell you, um, I, I looked into it because I, I'm like, no, because so, I had looked because uh, I didn't know what Empire Magazine was. And they, they release these lists every once in a while, like the uh-huh. best movies, best directors. And I looked at those lists, and some of the, and parts of those lists are kind of ridiculous, but for the most part, it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, Orson Welles and stuff like that. like And like Kurosawa. Like, there's directors that most people probably don't know about. And it's like, okay, so... So they kind of know what they're talking about at Empire. Let's, let's, let's look at the characters list. And the characters list, you, you wouldn't think it was the same publication. Yeah. Like the director's list and the character's list. But and that's when I fin that's that's when I realized that the character's list was Empire magazine readers submitting their favorite characters. And if you look at the list, all it real I mean, it really is just such a reflection of their readership. Like if I looked at that list, I'd be like, We we can't print this. <laughs> All right, we and we and what's more, I think we may need to fire some people, like because we are not reaching the demographic we want to reach. Um, but like, and, and what bothers me is it's like you know what if you're just going to reflect what the what the culture says. All right, that's fine, but don't. And and those who've read the blog probably know this. What bothers me about this is like, amongst people of a certain mindset, the mentality is why watch old movies. They suck, you know. They're boring. They're black and white. They're foreign, maybe. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I, like, why would I want to watch anything made before I was born? 
a, mo- a list like this, which takes that mentality and actually prints it as something of gospel, uh, all it does is solidify that idea. So they're like, oh, yeah, see what I tell you. The, what's the point in watching these movies, these yeah. older movies? You know, uh, clearly the best movies are being made now and uh, the best characters are being made now. So why would I want to look back? You know, and so the, the magazine, I think, missed, uh, missed an opportunity to really educate their readers. Instead, they chose to, I think, go the lazy route and just say, here's what you think. And uh, yeah. at no point did they say, by the way, you're wrong. <laughs> right. to, you know well here's what we want to do okay we want to set out to prove that well we may not have as expansive uh a fan base as as empire magazine we have smarter listeners than they do readers damn right that's what i want to prove that's right so uh for the next couple weeks uh, don't don't sit on your haunches because we want to get this done quickly right to to I don't know. I don't know where I don't know where we're going to put this, but uh I'm going to see if I can get it on uh, the internet movie database. It's kind okay. of a little, hey, screw you guys. You're not doing your job. Okay. So we want to try and do this soon to yeah. while the, while the empire list is fresh in people's minds. So right. listeners, uh battleship pretension at hotmail.com. Yeah. Uh send us your 10 characters you think should be included on the 100 greatest characters list. Right. And 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 people go deep. Yes, yes. I would. Here's the thing. I'm reluctant to say this because I I believe in you, the listener. But here's the thing. This is not necessarily a list of your favorites. All right. Because honestly, if I had to, if if I was asked my list of favorites, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if all the people on there would be some of the best characters ever. But I mm-hmm. happen to love them. Yeah. Um, you know, like for example, Robert Duvall in a civil action is one of my favorite characters ever one of the best i don't think so um here's what we want so here's what we want we want we want both leading roles and supporting roles right we want men and women we want want new movies and old we want yeah english English, speaking and foreign silent yes be willing to go silent everybody uh run silent run deep (laughs) but don't go too uh don't go too deep so you know so we end up leaving off you know, right? Like, I mean, really, put, put who you think is right because I don't want to like not end up with Charles Foster Kane on the list because everyone thinks that it's too obvious, right? You know, be true to yourself, you yeah. know, uh, because I mean, we're gonna just do this in, in theoretically the way Empire did it, just to yeah. prove that our listeners are smarter. Yeah. So I don't want to end up with Charles Foster Kane not being on the list. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. anyone else because Empire included Charles Foster Kane. So if he doesn't show up. I think the podcast might be over. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's on you guys. So yeah. Don't try to outsmart everybody. Just be right. Honest. Yeah. And, and be, but, but at the same time, think as widely as you can, you right. know, like once you hear this, give it a day, think it over for a day, email us tomorrow, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah. So Dave and I've been giving you a lot of like, don't do this, but do this, but don't do that too much. Like, you know, we're, we're really overthinking it a little bit, but I don't know. I'm excited about this. I believe in you, the listeners based on emails that we've gotten. I think this list is going to be awesome and pretty comprehensive. And so, uh, so yeah, but we're only going to do this for the next two weeks. So please, uh, we were thinking about stretching it out to a month, but we want to do it before Christmas. And as David said, we want to try and, you know, uh, you know, the empire do it while the empire list is still kind of fresh in some people's yeah. minds. Um, so yeah, 
BattleshipPretension at Hotmail.com. Uh, here's another thing. I'm okay. usually very uh, – I, I write back to anyone who emails us. Right. I'm not going to write back. To, uh, right. If we're going to get a lot of them, I'm not going to – so don't expect an email back. Sorry. Right. Um, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to say this, but it is something that I thought of. Um, so we've been pushing the uh, Battleship Pretension Forum, and by all means – uh, go and and use it. It's very. I I like the way it's it's set up. Um, it's not totally perfect, but it's still fairly well organized. Um, I would say don't discuss this on the forum because you might actually taint what somebody else is thinking. Okay. Uh, I don't know. That's what do you think, David? I can see that. I, yeah, I, I can see that happening. I kind of like the idea of just it's all just individually. Everybody says you know what they think. Yeah. Um. So yeah, battleship pretension at hotmail dot com. Ten characters, male, female, old, new, English, foreign, doesn't matter. The ten leading and supporting, uh, leading and supporting. Thank you. Ten characters that you think belong on the list of the best characters ever. All right. So I'm excited to see, and then of course we'll announce this. It'll be a big deal. So I'm excited to see how this turns out, and so we're throwing it to you, everybody. Uh, prove us right, please. <laughs> so, all right. Speaking of the of the best ever, that's that's okay. <laughs> um, well, it's it's episode number ninety. Yep. Uh, all the uh, uh, every ten episode, <laughs> every ten episodes we do a profile yep. of a of a of a filmmaker, or, you know, someone in, involved in film, and uh, we've been talking almost since we started doing this show about doing an episode on costume design. Yes. Which we never have. Never have. Uh, because we don't really know a lot about it, but yeah. it's important. Yeah, this this episode is going to be, uh, it's kind of going to be a twofer. We're going to be discussing an artist, uh-huh. but we'll also be discussing the art that he practices. You know, it'll kind of yeah. be a, a two for one. So, um, so as David said, we're going to be discussing costume design, but more specifically, who are we discussing, David? Well, like I said, speaking of best ever, I figured we want to okay. do an episode on costume design. Yeah. Why not go with the guy who made what is arguably the most famous costume in film history? Okay. The uh, the the green dress made from the drapes in Gone with the Wind. Yes. Uh, that's Walter Plunkett. Walter that. Plunkett, whose name I love. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's fun to say. Say it out loud now. Hang on. <laughs> Did you hear him? <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. We're getting more and more ridiculous. Um, but uh, yeah, and this was uh, this was kind of interesting. David uh, David threatened me with this a while back, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, "What? I don't know anything about Walter Plunkett." <laughs> and uh, you know, and and so I I watched some movies that, frankly, I should have watched by now. Anyway. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and the minute I watch them, like I get it. Yes, let's talk about Walter Plunkett. Like he's one of those designers who, uh, especially. I mean, if I hadn't seen, I'll, I'll mention Singing in the Rain, especially. Uh, that's I'm glad that I watched that because it's like, oh, now I get why David singled uh, him out as opposed to somebody like Edith Head, who is you know a, a great yeah. costume designer and certainly very prolific. But I mean. I guess we I guess we want to go in order, so I'll talk about singing in the rain later. But uh, but right now we'll go in order. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, we're we're not. I mean, he's he made a lot, a lot, a lot of movies. So. Yeah. If you're an art director or like a sound guy or a costume guy or makeup, chances are you've you've been involved in more movies than uh, than we have seen. Um, but we uh, I think we I think we hit 
most of the big ones. Yeah, so um, I want to start with, uh, because I think this will sort of come up later, yeah. um, 1934, uh, The Gay Divorcee, okay. which is a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers oh, all right. film, which I had never really seen many uh, much of. I, you know, I'd seen clips. Yeah, I knew yeah. the stuff I was supposed to see, you know, dancing right. on the ceiling and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Not, Not Lionel Richie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the actual... <laughs> anyway. Um, and so I watched The Gay Divorcee, which I actually thought was really funny. I haven't, um, I, I haven't seen it. Uh, it <laughs> I mean, it's, it's 1934, so it's right around the Hays Code starting, you okay. know? But there's some stuff, like, there's a character, this Italian guy who is so clearly homosexual that they barely even... And there's a lot of jokes made about it. Okay. You know, but they barely... But they're not really mean, It's but they don't even really try to hide it. Hmm. Uh, I'm intrigued. Can you think <laughs> of one? <laughs> um, well, part of the... Part of the... One of the running jokes is that... Because he's, he's married, but uh, his wife clearly has has lovers <laughs> and okay. that he doesn't know about. All right. So uh, he, he calls home, to and he's talking to his wife, and he's like... Who is that man in the background? He go, and then he's like, "Oh, oh, oh!" So then he gets on the phone. And he's like, "You won't believe it. My eight-year-old son. His voice has already changed." <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it's uh, even without the homosexual thing, that whole idea of yeah. just him being so clueless as to his wife, uh, so flagrantly cheating on him, uh, yeah. sounds pretty uh, pretty interesting. But. Uh, uh, how are the? Because we're talking about costumes today, we're not talking about funniness. <laughs> uh, so how are the uh, how are the costumes? Well, uh, they're. Um, I mean, this is a black and white film, right? Um, and with the, most of the films that we'll talk about today will be in color, uh, yeah. because you know when he worked, that's and again, because he was a big name who made big lavish costumes. He worked yeah. in colored film a lot. We'll get to that though. Um, this still has very lavish costumes and very striking costumes, and he actually uses the black and white, uh, the the black and whiteness, uh, <laughs> okay, very well by having essentially like black and white costumes. I mean, I'm not sure what color they actually were, but mm-hmm. the stuff that where the the whites are very white and the blacks are very rich. Oh, okay, you know? yeah. And another thing, I mean, it helps that this guy made a lot of movies that Warner Brothers now owns because, like we talked about last week, right? The DVDs are awesome. Yeah. The 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 way that these things have been cleaned up, you know, and transferred is gorgeous. So the yeah. Gay Divorcee DVD, so crisp. Hmm. And crisp is actually a good word I would use to describe his costumes because they're very, a lot of them are very sleek. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in this film particularly, you know, and, because, uh, and he has the challenge of he has to make a tuxedo that Fred Astaire can dance in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, but then there's there's this amazing dress that Ginger Rogers wears uh, that it's – I'm trying to think. Imagine that – okay, she's wearing a dress – like say she was wearing a black dress and then someone dumped white paint on her. And so the whole top of the dress is white. Hmm. Then at the, at the bottom, there's like these sharp sort of black like, – like the white – bleeds into the black hmm. or not not bleeds in because it's a very clear separation but it's right. like in tendrils you know interesting uh, it's it's fantastic hmm. <laughs> so there's the uh when did it come out 34 34 34 yeah. okay the gay who directed it i can't remember the gay divorcee yeah divorcee divorcee is based on a see here's where the Hayes code comes in i, I read this is based on a play called the gay divorce uh-huh. but for some reason the word divorce couldn't be in the title. 
but if you imply that she's already divorced, which she's not. Yeah. Uh, the whole the whole film is about her trying to engineer a divorce. We need to do an episode on the Hayes Code, by the way. Yeah. Someday. Yeah, that's the the whole thing is uh, she wants to get divorced from her husband. Her husband won't divorce her. Uh, you know, won't grant her a divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she wants to fool her husband into think into thinking that she's cheating on him. She's not, hmm. but that's the whole the, the whole gay Italian guy is hired to pretend to be her lover. Ah, okay, that sounds uh sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like a romp. David. Yeah, but then of course she meets Fred Astaire, and right. actually, another thing about the costumes here that I want to uh, mention is that part of the film takes place at, at the beginning of the film. It takes place in London, mm-hmm. and then they go to this sort of like vacation sort of resort uh, area, you know, and yeah. that's where the I guess I would say the majority of the film takes place there. And there's a very clear distinction in the costumes. I mean, certainly there's more, everything's more formal at the resort, but there's also, uh, I mean, the, the London stuff is sort of, it's a little busier. It's more work a day type of clothing, you mm-hmm. know, different, uh, you know, less, less shiny fabrics, you yeah. know, uh, and it, it gives us a weird impression where, because of these shiny fabrics that he's using, mm-hmm. uh, the resort area almost seems like it's it's like it's kind of like like heaven at the end of Monty Python's Meaning of Life. <laughs> you, you know, it's like it it seems like a fantasy land. Okay, you know, but it's done very very subtly with, and the certainly the art direction uh, plays into this too. You right. know, lots of just these, like I said, everything's either white, like bright white, or dark black. You know, and yeah. and then. Uh, very crisp lines and everything's uh, shiny. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah he uh he would uh, go on to do uh, fantasy sequences that weren't as subtle uh, later on in his career, but uh, more on that later. Well, but, that's something uh, we will get into actually. Let, okay. Let's, uh, there's a good reason to get into it now because we're going to move on to Stagecoach. Okay. Which you have seen. Yes. And I have seen. Yes. Um. Because I guess because of. The reputation that he certainly would have, that Walter Plunkett would have gotten from mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, he ended up doing a lot of that kind of stuff. A lot of musicals, a lot of Technicolor stuff, a lot of very non-subtle type of work. Right. That's what he was hired for yeah. because he was good at it. But uh, Stagecoach is a movie that shows that he was good at the other thing, too. Absolutely. You know? um, and this is, you know, and... Uh, this is something that that I think will lead us into, I think, perhaps a, a larger discussion of what costume design uh, is or should be, uh-huh. um, or rather, uh, perhaps could be. Um, when I saw uh, Stagecoach, um, okay, I, I won't get to that yet. Costume design, I feel like when it's done, quote-unquote, right, you don't realize it. You know, it's one yeah. of those things, it's almost like art direction. Um, or makeup or something like that, yeah. where unless the movie is really calling attention to the art direction and making that kind of a character in and of itself, like a Tim Burton film or something right. like that, uh, or film noir, unless it's doing that, it's really just supo- about creating the reality of the film. Uh-huh. And I would say costume is even more along those lines because it's creating the reality, but it's also an extension of the character. The costume design... Yeah, uh, you know, helps uh, helps sell the character. Um, and I remember, you know, back in my uh, in my acting days, um, I had a hard time 
not not necessarily a hard time, but like like once like once we started doing like dress rehearsals and stuff for plays, that's when I really really felt like, oh, okay, well, so this is really happening, you know, because uh-huh. like playing freaking uh, Henry the Second in my jeans and flannel didn't really work completely, <laughs> you know. Uh, but so the costume, well, really, you just, you just tend to feel freer in tights. Well, absolutely, absolutely, because <laughs> you know it's just I, I feel. Free. Here's the thing: I feel free yet secure. Sure, right? and that's it's important for an actor to feel that. Shut up. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but like I uh, let's see. I guess it was pro- it's coming up on two years ago now. Jen and I saw a uh, a play in Hollywood, and it was a version of uh, Romeo and Juliet, and. We saw it for Valentine's Day, and it took place in modern day with modern dress, and, and everything looked fine. Um, you know, people wore suits, and they, you know, the, the costumes didn't really stick out. But the guy playing Tybalt, his costume was so ridiculous. Um, in the sense that, like, clearly they're trying to make him out to be kind of a tough punk, but, like, I don't know who was in charge of the costumes. Uh, the guy who directed the play uh, played uh, Frank Fontana. On Murphy Brown, but uh, and so I don't know. I eventually, so the blame lies with him. But like Tybalt, like everyone else is in like suits and just just regular clothes. But Tybalt is in like he's like not wearing a shirt, but he's wearing like a leather vest and like like tight black jeans. Like and 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 the actor himself was Asian, but nobody else was, and that that's not a problem with the, with the costume. But um, and <laughs> what is that a problem with? <laughs> I don't casting maybe he did a good job but it's just like uh he's supposed to be one of these people's relative and uh, I'm not seeing it but uh but just they clearly it's like oh well Tybalt he's a you know he's a rebel he's a rough guy you know so let's put him in uh, a vest with no shirt and it's like uh what no his uncle's like this powerful politician or whatever it was and uh and so like Yeah he's not a street tough. Exactly. And so like like, you know, the scene with, like, you know, a scene where Tybalt is talking to his uncle at this formal party and Tybalt's still in his leather vest. Like, <laughs> his powerful politician uncle probably would have been like, hey, can you th- at least throw on a shirt? <laughs> like, just, you know, just throwing that out there. Um, and so it's, you know, I mean, so it, that, you know, you could make the argument. It's like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's dressed as an extension of who he is as a character. But you need to, you know, sometimes if you're going to go subtle with everything else, you got to go subtle with that. And and, you know, this topic and and Walter Plunkett, it got me thinking about just how hard a job the costumer has because he needs to show you. I mean, in certain cases, like in Singing in the Rain, you can call attention to the costumes, but in something like Stagecoach and then I also uh, same year as Stagecoach was Hunchback in Notre Dame. You need to, you need to suggest things about the character without saying, "Look at this, look what he is," uh-huh. you know. And uh, I mean, it's it it's such it's so hard to do, but he does it brilliantly. I'd say especially in Stagecoach, where every character is kind of an archetype anyway, and it would be easy to in the costumes like. All right. Well, this guy's clearly the drunk, so let's have him be dressed like this. And yeah. this guy's clearly the slick gambler, so let's have him be dressed like this. And the thing is, they are dressed like that, but not in a way that makes you feel like that's obvious. Um, yeah. So I've been talking for a while, but I'll, I'll throw it to you, stagecoach. Here we go. Well, you're talking about the drunk, Do- yeah. Doc Boone. 
the yeah, uh, a great character. Great character. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to end up on our list, but uh, <laughs> if if we were making the list, just you and me, I might include him. Yeah, I liked him a lot. Um, yeah, and uh, and I and and the reason that I that I singled out the the drunk and the gambler is because I think they're perfect examples of of what he what he as a uh, and and the uh, stagecoach driver whose name I don't recall. But uh, all of them, the way they're dressed, I think, uh, perfectly. <laughs> Buck? Buck, yes. Is that his name? I played know played by Andy Devine? Was it? I don't know. I know him as the guy who voiced Friar Tuck in the yeah, Disney. That's, yeah, yeah okay. Andy Devine is his name. Andy Devine. Um, but, like, those three characters, like, the minute you look at them, you kind of know all about them. Now, that's some, that's part of the performance, but it's also in their costume but it's not screaming it it's really yeah, hard well, to let's talk first about, about buck like yeah. he's a guy who has a job and a family to support yeah but he <clears throat> he's a guy who in his in his dress he tries to present himself well yeah but as a as a function of his line of work driving a stagecoach he tends to become very rumpled and then right you know and uh disorganized so yeah. he's he's got like because I think he's got like a vest on, you know, and yeah, I think uh, so. Uh, but it's sort of like maybe not always buttoned up. Like he's he's a little loose, you know, his hair's right. a mess. But uh, and then there's there's a Doc Boone who's a drunk, yeah. But he's not just like wearing you know rags or whatever, you know. Right. He's a he's a doctor too. There's more than yeah. one thing going on there, and he's got the sort of he's got the uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, He's got a, a serious he's clothes kinda, on. He's got black clothes. You know, he's right. He's he's dressed like a professional, yeah, but like a, a drunk professional. He kind of has like he has this air of dignity, but like it's like uh, maybe a few years ago, like yeah. now he still dresses like that because it's how you dress when you're one of the high, you know when you're in a respected profession. Yeah, but it just looks like he hasn't taken care of it really, um, and it's like oh, a few years ago he probably would have looked really nice. Yeah, but now he hasn't really shaved, and he hasn't really taken care of his nice clothes. But he still wears them, and and the fact that he wears these clothes that aren't completely well, you know, you know, well kempt, um, you know, it speaks it speaks to his character. You know, I mean, Plunkett could have had him be in virtual rags, but it's like no, this is a character who does have a certain degree of pride. In what he does, yeah, and he's clearly educated, um, and so, but you can't have him being complete, you know, it can't have him be completely dapper either, yeah, because uh, he's been drinking for a while, yeah, you know, this is nothing new. <laughs> when you've been drinking long enough for uh, a town in the old west to be like, we don't really want you around anymore. I know you have medical experience, and probably nobody else does. We'd really like you out. Yeah, uh, yeah, they kick him out. Right. So, like, uh, if you're playing that character, you're not going to be dressed in the in the finest linens. Um. Okay. And then there's the gambler. Yeah. Well. Okay. There's a scene in the movie where, uh, um, the gambler, uh, his name is Hatfield. I think. Hatfield. Yes. Uh, he offers uh, a drink to a lady out of out of a, a like a travel cup that he has, yeah. like a silver silver cup. cup. Um, and she says she recognizes the insignia or whatever the yeah. uh crest the crest that's what i'm looking for and he says i don't know i want it you know in a game so yeah. it, he has nice things but they're not 
right. did not come by honestly, and he's not really he's not really a gentleman. Yeah, but he presents himself as a gentleman, and that sort yeah. of comes through in his in his appearance. It yeah. seems like he is maybe uh, trying too hard to look. Yeah, a certain way, you know his. Yeah, like he, like the more he, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like uh, where he kind of overcompensates, and maybe, and maybe it's. Uh, you know, and he's kind of a you know he's kind of a sinister character. You're always kind of suspecting him, and it's both because and it's because of the performance, but it's also the way he looks. You get the impression he's trying so hard to show show himself to be a real guy. Yeah, look at my nice silver cup. I uh, yes, I won it, but uh, <laughs> I I did acquire it. I didn't necessarily buy it. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and just he is the mo- of all the of all the characters, he is the most well dressed including you know uh the 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 pregnant woman who you know uh, who is she's like a society honest, lady yeah, yeah, yeah she's an honest citizen um and the uh the the prostitute well who, let's talk about i don't want to spend all day on stagecoach okay because we uh right we're pretty far into this episode and we've only gotten two movies in oh, yes. uh but there's yeah there's the prostitute who um Again, uh, using like it's again it's in black and white, mm-hmm. but there's so much going on in her yeah. costume as opposed to uh, Mrs. Mallory, the uh, the the general's wife, the society yeah. lady. You know, uh, it really does because they never they never say she's a prostitute. in The movie 1939 right. couldn't do that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they they. By May, I mean Walter Plunkett gives her essentially a vulgar costume. You know, she's yeah. got like stripes or polka dots on her tights. You know, and right, she's got right. like clearly different colored ruffles. You know, coming out of her skirt. Yeah, uh, and then so that's very uh, well done. And uh, but I also want to talk about John Wayne. You know, it's a John Wayne movie. We haven't right. mentioned him yet. Oh uh, yeah, uh, and compare him to. Uh, you hear the whole movie about the the Plummer brothers that, that yeah. John Wayne has some sort of rivalry with. You yeah. know. And uh, at the end of the movie, you finally meet them. And mm-hmm. the difference between them, it's sort of like the gambler. Like, they, they're they cowboy duds that are a little too, hmm. uh, you know, put together. You yeah. know, it really is like, it's like, uh, you know, I, I went to high school with, uh, you know, rich kids who decided they wanted to be punk rock and would, uh, you know, try to dress like gutter punks, you know. Yeah. But uh, they had all the money to get it at the right places. Right. Whereas John Wayne looks disheveled. He's de- yeah. he's not wearing that many layers. He's got a he's got a sort of a, a pragmatic approach to to fashion. Yeah. You know, um, and, and he's dirty. You know, and he's yeah. Uh, he does. You know, it's interesting. Uh, so my wife and I yesterday we watched Singing in the Rain and then Stagecoach. And after Singing in the Rain, she asked a question. You know, because she hasn't seen a great deal of older films and uh she found herself wondering like she's like so like when it comes to like period pieces and stuff like do we do a better job of it now like maybe because we have you know more ways to research but you know maybe we you know we have more to draw more information to draw and she's like do we you know do we do a better job of really making something seem like gritty reality now and then we watch Stagecoach. Yeah. And it absolutely feels like it's taking place in that period, which is yeah. not something th- common to Westerns made afterwards, where it's like, 
uh, these people don't look dirty. They clearly look like they're on a sound, a soundstage, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, like at the very least, like all the characters in stagecoach who, who make their living being out and about, uh-huh. they look weather beaten. They look, as you say, their clothes are functional. They, it's like, well, I, I'm going to need clothes. It's basically, a, and something, <laughs> you know, perhaps a hat. <laughs> That's all I need, you know? Um, but uh, so say stagecoach, yeah. Yeah, we spend a lot of time on stagecoach. Yeah. But and just in general, it's awesome. I was yeah, so happy I saw it. Um, same year, Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind, and this is of course the one that Walter Plunkett will probably always be remembered for. Yeah, uh, and rightfully so. It's there are gazillions of costumes in that movie. Yeah, uh, they're all. I mean, most. I mean, especially the stuff that that Scarlett O'Hara wears. Yeah, very memorable. Clearly, a lot of work went into building it. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about. I mean, because we use stagecoach to make larger points about costumes, right? I guess we should probably use Gone with the Wind uh, as well, because there's oh, this is the whole different school. This is like the Tim Burton makeup of yeah. costumes. Like yeah. this is a movie where costumes are one of the draws, you know. And yeah. even me as you know. I mean, I had to be stereotypical, but like a straight guy. Yeah. I like it. I, I like, you know, I'm, and, and again, thank God for Warner Brothers and the beautiful transfer on this DVD. Yeah. Holy shit. Because like at the beginning, she's wearing the, the white dress with the huge like hoop skirt thing. Yeah. But then she's got like the green accents and the green like uh, thing around her neck. Hmm. And like, it's like this, this forest green that just pops like you wouldn't believe on the dvd have you watched it i have not seen the movie in many years i rented the dvd but i didn't get around to watching it oh man i may wind up watching it even after we record because i just want to watch it again yeah it's 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 i don't know it's not it's a it's a melodrama it's not a great movie right right but it's uh it's a testament to what can be great about about moviness you know uh and i use the term great in its sort of uh literal fashion there as opposed yeah. not, not necessarily really good but just really great yeah i mean it's it's a movie that is uh that in every possible way is a spectacle you know yeah and um, and the costumes are almost forefront in that i mean that's what people remember a lot of course there's the again green and green comes up a couple more times in, in his uh i'm not sure what this says about <laughs> i don't know how to decode yeah. someone's uh, mind based on the colors they use but uh he uses I have to green, uh, it means he's greedy yeah, I, don't know. I thought it was envious. Oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. But um, there's the green again in uh, in the with the the drape, you know the uh, right. the dress that she makes from drapes, you know, uh, which is a very rich. Uh, but the uh, I mean, what what do you? What, I don't know what else to say. What, what should we say about costumes at, um, uh, in general? Well, I would say I mean I I think that this one is is a, a perfect blend of and that's you know it's been a while since I've seen it but I do remember the costumes you know uh-huh. I mean as as much as one can considering I haven't seen it in probably nine years but for, you know when I think Scarlett O'Hara I think the big green dress yeah. you know I like I think of the big hoops and all that sort of thing because especially her that character is so melodramatic and so over the top and so. And that's and it's not just the way the character is written. She is she just she's kind of this bratty type character, mm-hmm. and just she and she's very rich and just everything about her. I remember once saying about Homer Simpson that he is the perfect marriage 
of writing, acting, and visual. Everything, like, the way he's written, that's the voice you use. The way he looks, that's the way you write him. I mean, <laughs> it's just, everything about him is perfect. And I would say the same with Scarlett O'Hara. Just the way she acts, that's absolutely what she would wear. You know, just like, just these huge, ridiculous things. Like, she's somebody who's very much is like, hey, everybody, look at me. And just in case my my uh, just in case my behavior won't get your attention, my insane clothes will. Yeah, you know, and just uh, you know, and so, so he, I, I'd say that that the the costumes in Gone with the Wind are a, a really good marriage of style and substance, because he didn't just, you know, he, like he used it as an opportunity. It's like okay. These character, these costumes are going to be an extension of the characters. Thank God these characters are, you know, dynamic, dynamic, and yeah. kind of overblown at times, and just yeah, the whole larger than life. You know, uh, I think he's somebody who can, who can absolutely adapt his ability to whatever project he's working in. Yeah, uh, and Gone with the Wind. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't have like big fantasy sequences like in. Uh, singing in the rain we'll talk about that later but it has it requires as you th- the word you use was perfect dynamic uh-huh. you know it's a dynamic movie about dynamic characters and he is gonna you know the costumes are gonna play just as much of a role as any of these actors yeah there's something i, I think y- young film buffs mm-hmm. or you know uh the immature maybe film buffs okay or shallow film buffs tend to scoff at these kind of movies, yeah. you know, simply because they're, they're not realistic at all, you yeah. know, but when done correctly, it can be just as valid a form of filmmaking yeah. a, as, as gritty realism. So I, I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. It's, the word melodrama, I remember when I was, when I was young and yeah. I, and I, you know, started getting into film, I viewed the word melodrama as the, the, the crappy cousin of real drama. Right. But then, you know, but then you watch movies like Gone with the Wind and I'd say even The Notebook and maybe, you know, a few others that I can't think of right now, but like you watch movies like that and you realize like, no, melodrama is its own genre. Yeah. You know, it's not a version, a a crappy version of drama. It is its own thing. And within that you need to, and you know, just like if you're watching a horror movie, it's like this is a really bloody drama. No, 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 it's a different thing. Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you need to change your your expectations based on the fact that it's a different genre. And and I'd say you know, uh, Gone with the Wind is of course the perfect melodrama. Yeah. Okay, so well, was there anything you wanted to say about Hunchback of Notre Dame? Because I haven't seen it. Um, just that I would say you know uh, it's more you know it's more along the lines of Stagecoach, but it ha- you know where he had the opportunity. To really, uh, and there are some costumes that are a little a little crazy and over the top, but it's usually for for characters who have like who are very well respected. Everything about them, you know, like the the various uh, religious figures and stuff. Oh, they're just so well respected. They're so grand. Uh-huh. But it should be noted their costumes are kind of the most ridiculous. Yeah, and so like they're supposed to be like uh, I think. Um, I think a nun or or like a mother superior or something like that um, is wearing like, you know, she's got, you know, like that. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't grow up Catholic. Maybe, you know, this David, the the head part of the uh, of the habit. 
Uh, I, I just referred to the whole thing as the habit. Okay, so I don't well, know. the head part uh, yeah. is huge, <laughs> and it like it it's uh, it like rises up off her head like a full foot and a half. <laughs> it's ridiculous, and whereas like the townspeople and certainly Quasimodo himself are just dressed in very modest functional clothing and i think and seeing as how you know uh one of these religious figures turns out to be uh a, you know a terrible villain who is full of self-righteousness you know i think the the costumes are used to express things about the characters uh even if it's not necessarily a function of the characters themselves that's more of the costume being used to comment on the characters as opposed to be an extension of them but uh and that's that's basically all I have to say. But that's you know that's something that's another thing where it's like oh this character would probably probably never wear this, but that's not what this is about. This is about mm-hmm. you know that, and that's another aspect too. Art. I mean, I, I'd say that's a l- more an expressionistic type choice um, where it's like oh the world you know like in we can you know we go back to Tim Burton, but it's like oh the world doesn't look like this. Well, that's the idea, you know. Yeah. This world looks like this, and uh, and these characters they wouldn't wear this, but they're it is the essence of their character that they dress like this. So anyway, well let's uh, let's leap ahead thirteen years, several years uh, to if there's any film that rivals his reputation for Gone with the Wind, it's got to be Singing in the Rain. Yeah, um, I'll let you, I'll let you go first. Okay, well, you've seen it more recently than I have, although That's I've true. probably seen it many more times than you because I actually really love this movie. Yeah, <laughs> and I uh, and this is you know this is a I may lose some cred here. I did not care for Singing in the Rain that much. I really liked the story. Uh, I you know I just I have a hard time. I've always had a difficult time with like musicals where it's like, hey, here's a song, and wow, like this song doesn't even have anything to do with. But it's like. I don't know. I, it's like Scarlet's costumes. They're good songs. The choreography is great. Yes. You know, the the movie looks great. Yeah. It's it's yeah, I mean it's it's a different it's a it's a different genre of musical, but it's one that I just have a hard time uh with. So I'm yeah. not saying the movie is bad. But uh, far from it. In that genre, it's great. You know, much in the same way I can say Gone with the Wind is a great melodrama. Will I ever watch it again? Maybe once. Uh-huh. Um, you know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's also like four hours long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, Singing in the Rain, I remember, like, just as I said before, like, I was reluctant to talk about Walter Plunkett and about costumes in general. Then I saw Singing in the Rain. And from, like, frame one, you know, you're just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because this is a movie it, which is kind of expressionistic in and of itself because it is all about Hollywood artifice. It's all about, yeah. you know, what they want you to see as opposed to what is real. Yeah, you could almost, and I, this is something, this isn't an original thought of mine. I uh, read in doing research about Walter Plunkett, someone else had written this. You can almost see the costumes he did in Singing in the Rain as a sort of self-parody of the stuff that he started out doing. Because I he could, started in yeah. 1927, you know, and stuff like in 1930, The Gay Divorcee, you know, is very much that sort of, uh, that that Hollywood artifice of the of the time, of the of yeah. the 20s and 30s, you know. And, uh, uh, so yeah, he's, he's sort of lampooning himself in a way, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a Western scene in there as well where, you uh-huh. know, uh, Gene Kelly... Uh, is a stuntman in a western, and of course, the costumes there are way more ridiculous than anything Plunkett did in <laughs> Stagecoach. Yeah, um, 
you know, so maybe he's making fun of himself. Maybe he's making fun of what he could have been, you know, uh-huh. and yeah. possibly what other uh, costume designers actually were. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's so much to say. I really wish that I had taken notes because I remember like in the first, like in the first half hour, I'm like, wow, these are great. I'm like, I, it's like, these are going to stick out in my head. No, th- they keep coming. Yeah. Like, there's, there's <laughs> just the sheer, did he get an Oscar for this? I can't remember. Uh, I know that um, a huge portion of the budget went to, I, I read that today, went to his costumes. I can't remember. It ended up uh, sort of because of his budget, for costume budget ended up going over the budget for the film, but then it made back, you know, yeah. scads of money. So Yeah, it's, I mean, the costumes are amazing. I mean, from, you know, like even even when they're more subtle, when it's just like, oh, a tuxedo and a dress, like, when when uh, Gene Kelly and who's the actress? Debbie Reynolds. No, no, no. The uh, who plays uh, Lena. Oh, I can't remember who the actress. Okay, well, name. the actress who plays Lena, uh, like when they go to their own movie premiere, like everybody's dressed in you know it's kind of dark. Uh, everyone is dressed in like you know reds and blacks, and then these two show up and they're in all white. Uh-huh. You know, and, and it's just like, and even though it's just a tuxedo. It's a white tuxedo, you know, yeah. and it's just like, oh, like I, all eyes go to them immediately. I mean, just like even in a seemingly simple, uh, you know, subtle um, costume design, he still manages to make it incredibly memorable, you know. And uh, and I mean, there's there's a whole musical sequence in there that is devoted to showing off costumes. You're talking you know? about the. The uh, what's it called? The uh, I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> Towards the, I don't know the the big huge like fantasy thing. Oh, Is that what uh, you're about? oh, the Broadway melody part. Yeah. Uh, there's that, but there's one where it's uh, they're sitting back and watching. It's not really a fantasy sequence because it's something that's being shot. Uh-huh. Um, and it's basically one guy singing with like a whole a whole group of girls behind. Oh him, yeah, and yeah. He's talking about. You know, and and all the girls are are dressed in like these purple dresses, and he's in a black tuxedo. With is he in a purple tuxedo with? I don't remember. Anyway, purple factors into his tuxedo somehow. Yeah, but Rita Marino is in that scene. Which oh, I believe uh, that's right. I was looking for her. I saw her in the in the credits. Um, but uh, and in it, like you see, like these different women, like in like these scenes, but they might as well be mannequins. But yeah. they're standing there they're real people uh-huh. and they're like dis- and each of them is like displaying a different color a different and a completely different design yeah of of dress or you know pantsuit or whatever and it's just like this is astounding this is one scene yeah it's astounding um just you know because because he just uses i mean he's somebody who's like oh i'm sorry what what's this technicolor Oh, I think I'm gonna have fun with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the, I mean the the colors are just almost offensive. They're so like, it's like I think I'm gonna go with yellow. Oh, what kind of yellow? Like a muted ah canary. Can I do <laughs> yeah. that? Is something that's uh, blinding? Is <laughs> do you have a, a double canary? <laughs> <laughs> right. Is there a way to replicate the sun? Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, but that's the thing is the movie is all about. As I said, it's all about artifice and people who are. Ridiculous ridiculous and who are trying to show everybody how awesome they are and uh and lena especially i mean 
she's a ridiculous character who cannot who can't uh identify quality when she sees it like uh-huh. she they go to the screening of uh of the film with like I think isn't the sound just disastrous or something like yeah, that? Yeah, well, it it comes off sync, so it looks like he's saying what she's saying, right, and she's saying right. what he's saying. It's very funny. And then, and everyone else is like, "This is horrible." And she's like, "I thought it was pretty good." You know, <laughs> like she's somebody who, and it, and it, like at first she's clueless and just dumb, but then it turns out, but like, oh, that doesn't stop her from being, you know, sadistic. Yeah, uh, and uh, and as such. Her costumes are often the absolute most ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but well, I also want to mention another great green costume okay. is Sid Charisse as the uh, yeah uh, in in the fantasy sequence, the Broadway yeah. melody melody Broadway whatever thing. Uh, I it's, I think it's my favorite costume in the film, but that could be because it shows off so much of Sid Charisse's legs. <laughs> 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 uh, but then then. Because that's she. Only, I mean, Sid Charisse only exists in the movie. In that she's not a character in the movie, right? She's just there she's a to dance in that fantasy. Yeah, and then they dance, and then she shows up in a later part of the fantasy sequence yeah. in a different dress on the on the steps. Yeah, with and this is the most, and it, it could only be in a fantasy sequence. Oh yeah, because essentially this dress has like a train that yeah. goes off the screen. Like, I don't know if you ever even see the end right. of it. Like, I mean, there's, there's like, wind blowing, and so it it never hits the ground. It's like yeah. it's like the American flag. You don't let it hit the ground. Yeah. It has to be... And, and this thing must... It's got to be, what, 20 feet long? At 25? Least, yeah. And it's just trailing behind her, and it's just... It's insane. And, like, you know, the camera, like, swoops back to see just how long this thing is. And it's something you don't realize. That it's a reveal. Like, uh-huh. at first, it's kind of around her a little bit. And then she lets it go. And then, you know, and then the wind or whatever catches it. And then you just see it stretched out. And it's like, are the actors even in this anymore? <laughs> like, this is, you know. This, this scene is about the dress. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd say that that sequence is what I, when I, like, if I think about the costumes, that sequence is what I remember most. Because, like, what a weird choice to make. Because this piece of fabric blowing in the wind is drawing attention away from Sid Charisse. Yeah. <laughs> if that, I never thought that'd be possible. Thank you, Walter Plunkett. <laughs> I don't know why I sounded so angry. So, um, okay, let's uh, let's speed through some more movies real quick. Okay. Well, I think uh, I've only seen one more. Okay. You've seen more than one more. Okay. Uh, I know that. I think. Pretty sure. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, you don't know me? The next year was Kiss Me Kate, which is a terrible film. Didn't see it. Uh, I don't know what else. I mean, it's got good songs by Cole Porter. That's the whole reason the thing exists because of the good songs. But it's. Uh, I want to go on a tangent here. Go uh, ahead. Fuck it. Okay. Yeah, I'll go on a tangent. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna drink. Uh, have a drink of water. The work of Shakespeare is very much of its time, right? Okay. It's. I mean, I guess it was okay then to be anti-Semitic, you know, like in The Merchant of Venice. Okay. Or yeah. to be horribly misogynist as in The Taming of the Shrew. Okay. Kiss Me, Kate is a version of, of The Taming of the Shrew. Isn't everything at this point? <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> but um, it, it comes off really creepy when it's supposed to take place in the year the film is made, you know? Okay. It's like this guy, like, you don't want him to get the girl because he's just a fucking asshole. You know, and 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 this and this woman is so unrealistic, and and I mean, who's who, who's really a shrew anymore? <laughs> Do you know what 
Do you, can you think of any shrews? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, you know what? Uh, I got one. I mean, Wendy Malick usually plays shrews, <laughs> but I'm sure she's a very nice person in real life. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, just that it's... That uh, you hate Kiss Me Kate. I, I, I hate it, and I hate... Uh, it's it makes it makes Shakespeare difficult to watch. Honestly, hmm. I've had I've had problems watching The Merchant of Venice in the past, uh, because I feel like too many people want to gloss over that part of it. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, you know, be you know, be honest to it and make an actual anti. Have right. the characters actually be anti-Semitic, and you cannot be, you know. The film cannot be, but the characters can be. Anyway, that, I'm, uh, that's a tangent. Okay. But I'll come back to it in a second, actually. Uh, 1954, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Great movie. Didn't see it. I mean, you would hate it. I mean... Uh, yes, I imagine I would. <laughs> but it features an amazing... Okay, here, <laughs> here's the story. Uh, and this is different, actually, because this is also misogynist. I'll, I'll tell you the story in a second. Okay. But it's misogynist in the same way that the time that it takes place was misogynist. Okay. Okay, so here's the story. This guy goes into town, you know, and he meets this woman, marries her, he come, bring, brings her back to the like the ranch that he lives compound w- with, with his with his six brothers. Okay, okay? his six brothers said that they they want to get themselves some wives. Okay. Uh, they they go to this sort of like big barn raising thing, and they meet these six other women who yeah. all each have their own suitors already. Okay. And there's this great dance, like choreographed dance sequence, like synchronized, where they're dancing and fighting the suitors at the same time. It's the okay. highlight of the movie. Uh, so then, this guy, the one who's got a wife, he decides, "Well, shit, I can, I know how to get my brother's wives. Let's kidnap these women." <laughs> so that's the story. But it's it's lighthearted and fun, and the costumes are actually really cool because you have like these six women uh, or the six guys who are. Uh, in every in even each sequence, they're all dressed roughly, pretty much the same mm-hmm. in style. But he uses color and like different differentiation and patterns hmm. to make each one disti- distinguished. You yeah. know, there's a great. Uh, I think it's at that barn raising thing. I haven't seen this movie in forever, but I, yeah. uh, where they're all wearing, uh, all the women are wearing. Each of their dresses has some sort of checker pattern to it. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's all in different colors, and the pat the pattern might be going a different way. On, on yeah, I imagine. A, you know, I've, I haven't seen it, but uh, I imagine a checker pattern in a dance sequence. Yeah, has to be uh, somewhat crazy to watch. Yeah, and then there's there's just other lavishness because the the original wife I can't remember who, I can't remember who plays anyone in this movie because I haven't seen it in forever. Howard Keel's in it, I think. Yeah, Howard Keel's also in Kiss Me Kate. Okay. Uh, He's also in Showboat, which uh, Plunkett also did the costume. I for. never saw Showboat. I didn't either. But that's I James Whale, right? Uh, no, not that Showboat. Not a that. Later okay. One. Um, anyway, uh, what was I going to say? Okay, because they're supposed, to, in theory, they're supposed to be poor. You know. Yeah. So she's got this, <laughs> this insane like skirt that's supposed to be like patchwork. You know. Oh, all right. But it's <laughs> it's beautiful and like right. really almost vulgar <laughs> it's awesome well it's a musical yeah why wouldn't it be like that so Sorry, then, uh I... two years later 1956 forbidden planet you've seen that i have seen forbidden planet but he apparently only did the men's costumes in that movie yeah uh which means he doesn't get credit for any of those sexy things that Anne francis wears <laughs> which is the, the chief reason to watch that movie i don't want to be uh sexist or anything it's a uh, it's a pretty good movie it's pretty good but the chief reason to watch that movie is because of the sexy short skirts that in Francis wears. I disagree. <laughs> but that's also uh, a Shakespeare update. Yes, but it it's is. it's The Tempest which uh is 
doesn't offend me. Uh, okay, well, all right then. So, <laughs> I like, I like so, the Tempest. So, so, so everybody, you can watch Forbidden Planet in good conscience, knowing that you're not angering David uh, in, in, in your enjoyment of it. Um, yeah, and that's one where it's like, and I wanted to touch on it briefly. I know we're, we're uh, running out of time. Um, but because uh, that's a sci-fi movie. Yeah, you know, and and that's something that uh, that we have not discussed so far. Yeah, you know, so far it's mostly been period films, um, and so now, so now it's a different kind of period film where you know, and and his costume design it's very much what people you know in sci-fi movies wore at you know when they were made at the time. You uh-huh. know, where it's just like, but but at the same time it's not it's not crazy. You know, it's not like glittery silver uh no they actually suits. The, the the men mostly look they sort of look like like maintenance men you know yeah. they're wearing they have like the, the caps on you know yeah. and they have like their pants are a little baggy in yeah. a way you know and then black boots and black belt but then they have like sort of oversized epaulets on the shoulders like yeah. something something always has to be a little different right in the future right, right. just a just who knows a how big epaulets will be in the future <laughs> i know but um but yeah, I mean, when you look at at some of the other stuff that that uh, that you know uh, sci fi movies were doing, where people or spacemen were wearing like just it's like oh here's a you know uh, Jerry Seinfeld mentions it in uh, in his uh, stand up mm-hmm. CD. It's just like all right, everybody, just the one piece silver suit with the V stripe and the boots, <laughs> and it's and Walter Plunkett to his uh, to his credit didn't go that route it would have been easy yeah. but he he wound up actually saying like oh he kind of went the functional route again like you said it's like these are guys who are they're doing their job you know what yeah. i mean like there's something kind of romantic about their job but ultimately you know uh we can't have anything too binding because one minute we're going to be traipsing around the planet uh one minute we're going to be fixing the ship one minute, you know, the next minute we're going to be, you know, just sitting down and eating dinner. Like, uh-huh. his costumes, they do feel like something that somebody would wear. Like, it's a uniform, but it also has to serve a purpose. You know, it's still functional. Yeah. So, anyway. So, there's one more I want to go to, and I think you might have seen this movie. Okay. Um, and it's not a very good movie. It's okay. the Brothers Karamazov. Uh, I have not seen it. Oh, okay. From 1958, William Shatner's in it, but uh, it yeah. stars Yul Brynner, but yeah. William Shatner's in it. Lee J. Cobb is in it. Who? Oh yeah, Lou J. Lou J. Cobb is in it. That's yeah. right. I haven't seen it in a long time, and as I've said on the show before, I tend to not have a very good memory of films that I just didn't like. Okay. <laughs> so I, but I, but I did. I went online today and looked at some stills and stuff, and I really like the costumes. Hmm. And it's, I don't know, it's a li- the whole film, the whole direction of that film was a little misguided, uh, and so I'm sure Walter Plunkett just got caught up in that. Yeah. But they're. Because they're still a little showy, you know? Okay. But there is a subtleness to them as well that sets... uh, That I can see an audience at the time understanding the sort of foreignness of it because it's it's Russia. Right, You know, and that 1958, Russia was very much foreign. I mean, they're still foreign, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's... But he uses... In every costume that I looked at today, you could really see the texture of it, you know? yeah. The, there's and that that gives you the viewer the feeling of uh, authenticity, authenticity, but also that these are people who have to dress warm, and there uh, yeah. and a lot of it. A lot of what they wear is very thick. There's layers, you know, but the, the you can't obviously sort of describe thickness with the the camera because it's two dimensional. Yeah, but he uses this texture 
yeah. you know, to create the 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 look of of how thick the clothes are. I would say he kind of does the same with uh, with Hunchback in Notre Dame as far as like the peasants' clothes is. He does a good job of of like really. Sh- it's like if I lived at the time, this is what I'd be wearing, and uh-huh. I this is what I what it would be easy for me to find. I would just buy it at a shop somewhere because I don't have a lot of money and I can't have my clothes tailored. And so, you know, and, and yeah, you really do feel, you know, it doesn't feel like just some non-existent thing that they made for a movie. It feels like something that people wore. Hmm. And so, you know, I mean, you really got a sense of the texture. You really felt like you knew what this would have felt like on your skin, you know? Yeah. And in the case of Quasimodo, Quasimodo is like, doesn't, doesn't look comfortable. I don't think yeah. I'd wear that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've I've wanted to see Brothers Karamazov for a while, even though I uh, you, you mentioned that uh, you didn't like it. But I'm a big fan of Lee J. Cobb. So but uh, anyway, so. Well, that was uh, as far as I wanted to go. I mean, that's that's yeah. the but uh, uh, Walter Plunkett lived to be uh, 79 years old. He died the year I was born, 1982. Oh, man. And he uh, he left his entire estate to his his. Uh, his partner, I guess, his lover. I don't know. I'm not mm. sure what the uh, euphemism was at the time. Okay. Longtime companion, I think. Okay. Good, great movie, by the way. Longtime <laughs> companion. Everyone should see it. Was, was his lover Bruce Davison? <laughs> no, Campbell Scott actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, uh, his he left it to his partner Lee, who obviously no gay marriage at the time. Yeah. He had officially adopted Lee just so that he could he could leave uh, huh. leave him his uh his inheritance. You know, I guess that's one route to go. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so I'm not really sure how to, how to end this episode, except that, you know, I, cause I feel like we've in talking about Walter Plunkett because he, he really, I think he is what a costume designer is supposed to be. He can adapt to any genre. He can make costumes that call attention to themselves and, and in, in movies where that's what they're supposed to do, or he can make costumes that you don't even you don't even recognize them. They just seem so right for what they seem so right for what the character is that you don't think twice about it. Yeah. You know, um, all you're doing is looking at the character's face. Everything else just seems right. Um, so, you know, in, in watching these movies, you know, and, and I think, I think a lot of people probably don't even think about costume design, you know, and if you look at the Oscars almost every year, usually what gets nominated is what is the most flashy. Um, yeah. or period and yeah usually very period yeah um but uh so i think you know maybe sometime in the future you know maybe we'll revisit uh the the topic because there are movies you know like blade runner and stuff and and stuff like that where the costumes get really outlandish but i feel like we'll we'd probably be repeating a lot of the things that we said here as far as the the principal uh function of the costume designer um so anyway so that was walter plunkett uh go back and watch some of these movies certainly watch stagecoach at the for several reasons yeah uh watch watch gone with the wind watch singing in the rain avoid kiss me kate like the plague avoid kiss me kate watch uh uh, forbidden planet um yeah i was being facetious earlier it actually is a good movie yes yes um monsters of the id <laughs> uh, those of you, you who saw it know that that's an awesome line, but uh, and uh, so yeah, I guess uh, to reiterate, for the next two weeks, email in the ten characters that you think belong on the hundred best characters list. Yeah, uh, and uh, 
Yeah, I think that's it's it. Battleship Retention at Hotmail dot com. That's right. Oh, Battleship Retention dot com forum donate button. Yeah, and uh, we don't usually do this, but it's something that we're going to probably start doing. Oh uh, yeah, it would help us out. Yeah, it would actually help us out uh, a fair amount, which is. Um, if you could go to iTunes and write a favorable review of the show. Only if you like the show. If you like the show. I'm not asking you to lie. <laughs> I don't know why you're listening. This episode like, I, I like the idea that there would be people who are listening and not liking the show being like, they want me to write an exactly. review. I, I guess I'll do that now. Yeah. I, they said it would help them. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so go to iTunes and write, you know, write a favorable review if you like the show um, because it would help us out uh, uh, immensely. So... Uh, so yeah, that's it. We, I'm sorry that we had to say that, but, uh, (laughs) you know, we, uh, hoped that you would have been able to do it on your own, but I guess not. I guess we're not really driving you to that. We don't, Um, we don't inspire that. Exactly. It's just, they're all right. (laughs) Maybe I'll listen to them next week. Maybe I won't. But, uh, anyway, so, uh, so thanks for listening. Sorry about the length of this episode and, uh, and, uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.